We've all been through a math class in our lives. I want you to think right now about a green math experience that you've had. And I want you to think about a red math experience you've had. Hello everyone, I'm Sherry Dutter and I'm here with Donalisa Panzik and we are here at Tier 1 Interventions. In mathematics, one of the biggest deficits that we see is for students having a lack of prerequisite skills. What's happening is students are not getting the foundational instruction that is allowing an opportunity for increased memory and retention for any content area, but we already know the deficits they're having in mathematics. Mm -hmm. And there is a direct correlation to the fine motor and handwriting piece. So the reason Sherry and I are having this conversation, this foundational conversation, before we attack you with some very intense content today is it's important to understand the purpose and why we're presenting to you today's content and what we hope for the results to be. We hope for the results to be that we increase focus, attention, memory, retention of content, engagement in the regular classroom so that the majority of kids, so that 85 to 90 percent of our kids get exactly what they need in the 40 minutes of math class a day or any class in the regular general classroom, which we're calling tier one. I want to share a thing called the megaphone effect before you go and explain the tiers. And that is for every year that a child is struggling and not maintaining the proficiency in that subject area, the megaphone gets bigger and bigger. It takes five years, five years for them to catch up where all their peers are moving ahead. They're back here. It, they move here. Their peers are moving ahead there. They have so much more difficult time. So if we can get these kids understanding writing concepts, math concepts, reading concepts in those state, those early years, kindergarten, first and second grade, they will, we can reduce that megaphone effect by the time that they're in secondary ed, which is where John Lee started. Yes. But has discovered that these gaps in mathematical education, we can reduce the megaphone and we can help more kids with less expense. Now, this is the really great news as I share with us, because I want to formally define each tier. We keep throwing out these terms and through this conversation. And I just want to make sure everybody listening understands what we're talking about. But there is absolutely great news. Absolutely great news. The content that Sherry and I are bringing to you today are minimal time interventions. We are streamlining and simplifying the entire intervention process. And when I say intervention, I mean for mathematics and non-academic. So intervention for focus, memory, retention, engagement, 
and then interventions to understand the math content. That combination, we've simplified, we've streamlined, and we've taken it down to the bare minimum bottom lines that we can do in the classroom. So not only are we reducing the time it's going to take to get these kids up to par, we're actually reducing the amount of things that we have to do. So we can actually do more in less time. Now, as we said before, and I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. So if, <clears throat> so Sherry and I are going to be putting this conversation on a lot of different platforms. So just understand that if you're only on an auditory, if you're only on a listening platform right now, like a podcast, you're not going to see my screen. I'm telling you everything that's on it. But for those of you that can see the visual and see the slide deck, it's just another another sense that you can see here. I'm just going to define each tiers. We have three tiers to support our clients, our students, tier three, tier two, tier one. Tier three is what Sherry was talking about as far as occupational therapy. The typical servicing with occupational therapy is you pull one student out of the classroom and you work one-on-one -on -one outside of the classroom typically disconnected to whatever content they're teaching in the classroom. Sherry, correct me if I'm wrong, add anything to that. No, that's exactly what happens is we have these goals as an OT that we need to achieve, but a lot of times they're not necessarily integrated with what's happening in the classroom. And then I tried when I was working with all of my kids, I would be talking to the teacher before my sessions going, what's happening in spelling? What's happening in vocabulary? What's happening in math? Where do you see the struggles so that I could incorporate some of those activities into my sessions? But yet there are some times that those foundational skills underneath there are so profound that incorporating academics does not happen. And academically, tier three, when we're in schools, logistically, it's not often possible to pull one-on-one. -on -one. So even at a tier three intervention level, if I'm pulling students as a specialist, an intervention specialist, or any kind of therapist, any other kind of therapist or special support person, I may be pulling two or three students out of the classroom because logistically I just, we just have too many numbers and we can't serve everyone. There are a lot of adjustments that we make, but tier three out of the classroom, typically one-on-one. -on -one. Tier two intervention can happen in or outside of the classroom. For an academic teacher, I can do centers in my classroom or stations in my classroom, or I could set up some kind of structure in my classroom where I actually have the ability as a teacher to work in the classroom with a small group of students to provide what that small group of students needs. Tier two can happen in the classroom, or I can have a specialist or support person that pulls students out in a small group, and tier two can happen out of the classroom. Tier two is not as critical of needs as tier three. When we're talking tier three and serving students at the tier three level, we're talking very critical needs. We're talking maybe one to two percent of our population, maybe up to five percent, but even that gets a little bit big. What we've been talking about as far as tier one and the reason we're focusing on tier one, which I'll define in a moment, is as Sherry and I have been talking about the numbers that have been escalating for tier three services, 
there shouldn't be many more than 5% of our population that are in need of Tier 3 services. If there are, we need to really evaluate what's happening in the regular classroom because the regular classroom should be serving 85 to 90% of our kids. And if it's not the kids, it's us. So that's what we're on a mission to spread conversation about is if we have that many kids that have Tier 3 needs, then we need to change what's happening at Tier 1. Tier 2 numbers have also been escalating. Tier 2 are not as critical as Tier 3, so it's going to be much easier to serve more of those Tier 2 kids in the Tier 1 classroom. And then finally, what we are focusing on, because I believe wholeheartedly and through my study of research that says good instruction, the techniques and tips and strategies that Sherry and I are going to give it to you today, good instruction at the Tier 1 level will reduce the number of students that are going to have those needs at Tier 2 and Tier 3. Tier 1 is in the classroom, whole class instruction, full inclusion, mainstream, kids of all needs, all ability levels, academic and non-academic, through differentiated instruction. Differentiated instruction means that the classroom teacher is knowledgeable and trained and skilled in providing a lesson so that all students' needs are met. That is what Sherry and I are focusing on as far as Tier 1. And the ultimate goal not only is to improve math understanding and achievement, improve understanding of number, improve fact fluency, improve all of those math skills, but also to improve memory and retention of content, increase focus and engagement, also increasing and improving motivation so that we break down those barriers and allow more students access to learning. Sherry, thoughts on that or any other additions to that before we get into our pizzas? Sure. So I had an experience when I was working with one of my contracts, and I was asked to see a kiddo who was four years old. He was in a pre-K classroom in a building that housed pre-K through third or fourth, third or fourth grade. So there was a lot of kids. The pre-K kids had a special entryway, so they were not going through the entire school building. And when I first got to the school, I went through the main office, got directed to where the classroom was, and I did pull out. The only place I had to work was the hallway to work with his kids, trying to get to know him. The teacher realized what was going on. She said, here, come into the classroom and you sit here and work with this kiddo. We got to know one another a little bit because I was listening to her as she was getting ready to do centers with the kids. And at some point in time after the kids had gone home, we had really long discussions. And so this was my first experience at Tier 2. And and it wasn't really that I was working Tier 2 necessarily, but she gave me an opportunity to do something. And I ended up being a center myself. 
I would talk to her the week before, find out what her overall theme of the week was going to be, and then I would come up with an activity. And I actually saw all of the kids in the class. I only got to bill for the 30 minutes I was seeing the kids, but I ended up spending two hours there every week. Now, that is not something in general (laughs) OT is going to be able to do. I know that. Okay? But what I learned from that was some of the thought process and some of the foundation of why am I not helping in a tier one classroom? When I got to one of my other buildings that I did have kindergartners, I was working with those kindergarten teachers when they were having their meetings. They had their session meetings once a week or whatever. Periodically, I would go into those meetings and we would talk about handwriting. This was all before COVID, long time before COVID. And I never made the connection to mathematics until you and I met. But it's just like those areas of need that are so out there, it's going to take innovation. It's going to take changing the mindset of administrators to help make these changes. I mentioned that Teresa was on the call. Teresa is also an occupational therapist, and she and I were talking in one of our sessions this week that administration does not see the benefit at this time of OT and teacher in the classroom at the same time collaborating, co-teaching on the same topic. They see it as double billing. And Mm. we need to change the mindset from the money standpoint because that's what's the one of the barriers to our success. Love it. Love it. And when we're thinking about regular classroom, we have people. A lot of times in our schools, we've got people and we're not logistically utilizing the people in probably the best ways to maximize services for kids. So I have a classroom right now that has 36 kids in it. Now, it's not a public school, so we don't have any restrictions on ratio, but I've got a classroom, we've got 36 kids in it, and we are moving leaps and bounds with these kids that even though there's this huge number of humans in the classroom, And when I come in the classroom those days, there's two of us teachers. And the majority of the time, there's one teacher with those 36 kids. And we have structured tier one. We have structured that classroom. So these kids are actually learning more in less time. They're getting more individual needs met. They're getting more through tier one differentiated instruction. And instead of... COVID continually affecting our excuses, our emotions, our mental state, our mindset. Let's use it to our advantage and let's try to figure out how we can do more with less and bring back our joy, bring back the joy in schools, the joy in education. And we can do that very minimally, mathematically. All we need are 12 anchor 
problems, and tasks. That's my most struggling students with the highest amount of ADHD, students with dyscalculia, dysgraphia, dyslexia, learning disabilities, ADHD, they are my students that remember the most. And what's hysterical is some of those students with learning disabilities, they'll be like, Mr. Pansick, I remember you had that green shirt on that day we did this. The amount of extreme memory and retention is unheard of. Because I've delivered mathematics in a way that has become an experience and not a lesson. Now, let me stop for a moment. Sherry, I was just going to bring you in because this is exactly your cue for giving us your perspective on what I just talked about. Yes. So from a neuroscience an anatomical perspective. So thinking of your brain is has different levels. You have the back of the brain, the brain stem. Your brain stem goes up into the central part of your brain. That's called your limbic system. And then that goes to the cortex, which is the outer part, which is when you look at pictures of a brain and you see all the curves and the swirls and stuff that's what is the cortex. But that inner part of the brain is where all the memory gets stored in the limbic system and it gets sorted into different parts of the brain then. But as we are filtering the messages coming in from the outside, that's the sensory system. You're bringing information in from the outside. So as you are encouraging the tell me more method in the way that you're delivering your math. Hey, we, a couple weeks ago, we did this and you have the kids are saying, yes, Mr. Panzik, you wore that green shirt. That moment that they recalled that when you taught that before, notice the depth. What you were wearing that day, what the temperature was outside, what was going on in the neighboring classroom that they overheard, what was going on at home that was, all of those pieces all get put together into one memory, one experience, and that gets stored together. And I often say that it's like a filing cabinet. Every moment of your day gets put into a folder and all of the components of it are little sticky notes on the outside. If it's a positive experience, think of the sticky note as green. If it's a negative experience, think of it as red. And if it's a, maybe I'll do that again, but maybe not, it's going to be yellow. It's, I don't know how many of you put it, put this in the chat. How many of you have heard about the zones of regulation? Well, this is where I'm going with this is those stickies on the outside of the folder are the, are an, another way of relating to the term zones of regulation. So the zones of regulation are identifying the feeling that's associated with the emotion. 
And so I see that some of you have heard about these in the past. Did you know that emotions and feelings are different? So when we are looking at that experience that happened four weeks ago and the kids that are finally getting it because of the way you approach the mathematics, you're going to see that difference. Does that make any sense? I'm getting a yes from Krista and John Lee. Did I answer? Did I, did that answer that comment effectively enough? This is so fantastic because the filing cabinet is some, is a reference task basically of Sherry. See, Sherry has her own reference anchors and we are going to be talking about the filing cabinet a lot. And I love how she put it. The green is a positive. The red is a negative. I want you to reflect right now on the typical traditional math classroom, whether you're a math teacher yourself or you're a therapist, occupational therapist, you don't have your own classroom. We've all been through a math class in our lives. I want you to think right now about a green math experience that you've had. And I want you to think about a red math experience you've had. I guarantee that 80% of our population, kids and adults, the majority of their math classroom experiences are red. That goes along with, in general, what we recall. We recall 80 to 90% of negative feelings over positive feelings. We really need to draw out the positive by drawing out the positive that let's go with that idea of the mountaintop experience that mountaintop experience that oh my gosh that excitement that I this was the most amazing day is going to get forgotten much faster than the drone of every day climbing the mountain So when we are, I got to tell a story. So many curriculum directors, as I'm consulting with school districts on this method of using reference tasks and how we can improve our tier one whole classroom instruction in mathematics, many curriculum directors will say to me, we've got to go through a new textbook re-adoption. We've got to go through this whole process. We've got... And it makes me cringe a little bit because even if we adopt a new curriculum, a new textbook, if we're not changing the instructional delivery and the mindset and the facilitation techniques, we're just going to go through the same dreaded circle again, just with a new resource. What I want to champion districts to do is to not worry so much about the actual resource. Because every textbook will work. You can use every textbook with this delivery method. Every reference task that I'm teaching you directly relates to multiple chapters and units in every textbook. So I almost say it's irrelevant what curriculum resource you choose. All of them will work, but at the same time, none of them will work. 
And we are prioritizing and focusing on the wrong things at the district level. Yes, I said it. We're prioritizing and focusing on the wrong things at the district level. So I'm not saying textbooks are good. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that is not the solution. That is not the solution. So I bring that up because that usually after one of my trainings, that's usually what some people hear me say. <laughs> that's not what I – so we have to reconfigure what our priority is and what we're focusing on and how we're creating our math story in our districts, K-12. And the way – that we need to create the math story is through these 12 reference tasks. Then it doesn't matter what textbook adoption you have. You can do it and coincide with anything. We're focusing on the wrong things. And how often do we give kids an opportunity for green stickies in math class? I just want us to really be deliberate and intentional about that. Nalima says, Tier 1 Interventions was a sensitizing workshop. Systematic thought through, put into an easy-to-understand framework and well-presented. Thank you to you both. Thank you, Nalima. You've been listening to Tier 1 Interventions with John Elise Panzik and Sherry Daughter. Tier 1 Interventions is released on the first and third Tuesday of the month. The podcast is recorded live on the third Saturday of each month except July. The first segment of the podcast is released to your favorite podcast app. To hear the entire workshop, go to tier1interventions.com and register for our mailing list to get all the news about the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode's release.